All right, well, you get me for round two uh, as I begin our sermon this morning. So if you want to open up with me to Ephesians chapter two, that is where we'll be this morning. Um, I want to say, if you didn't grab one of these on the way in, a Bible or one of these uh, little communion 2021 cups, um, you can go ahead and grab one. We'll be talking uh, about that in a little bit. But there's actually three specific parts to our time this morning. I want to start with a, a brief presentation of what the gospel is. It literally means good news. And then, to kind of make things a little bit crazy, we're going to take communion in the middle of our service. I know, yes, I know, I know, it's crazy to do that, but that's what we're going to do. And then, because you'll be so distracted, I'll keep telling you more things at the end uh, around this call to discipleship. So you already know where we're going, Uh, let's go with us uh, into the scriptures this morning. As we come to uh, the Bible, I always think to myself, there's this temptation that we can have, uh, a few of them actually. One is when we read God's word to kind of just gloss things over if we've read it before, we've heard these words, they kind of sound familiar, they just kind of stay out there and not here. Another temptation possibly could be this morning if you've heard communion or you've taken communion or participated in that celebration before. Possibly, you just kind of go through the motions and do it like you've always done without really understanding as God would teach us. Or possibly, maybe like me, I'm like, oh man, this message is so good for that person and they should be here this morning to hear it. It would be so amazing if they were. But don't do that either. Allow our hearts to be pricked by God's word. Now, when I talk about the gospel, uh, there are a few things maybe you've heard about the gospel before. Maybe you've heard it presented before um, and shared with you. But the gospel uh, is often talked about as a Romans road. Romans is a book of the Bible, and there are some verses that are highlighted throughout, and we can kind of walk that road and hear what Jesus has to say. And God is teaching us about new life in him. Maybe you've heard the gospel shared uh, through four spiritual laws, really just four statements uh, that were simply made uh, according to the scriptures to help us understand God's plan for salvation, rescuing us. But I was a kid in the 90s, and I had this really cool thing that I used, and it was called the Evangicube. And it looked just like this. It's about as, yes, you were there? Okay, Carissa, yes. All right, so you can flip this thing around and with these pictures, share the gospel. And I guess you had to memorize all the scripture to use it correctly, but man, it was a cool little thing. Uh, Maybe you've heard the bridge illustration before where like on one side, here is God in heaven and all the way on this other side is where we are on earth. And this separation, this chasm between us, how are we going to bridge the gap between us and God? There's distance. Possibly you've heard the gospel or Christianity broken down into just two words. Do. Most religions ask you to do all of these things to make your way to God. But Christianity, following Jesus, it's done. He has made the way that we can trust in him. So I know that in Romans 10, 17, it says faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. So we're going to work through the word of God this morning 
in Ephesians chapter 2. It's on page 917. If you don't have a Bible, grab that pew Bible out. Uh, I love to read my Bible with a pen or a highlighter or anything else that I can mark it up with. Um, And this is not going to get me fired, but uh, if you want to underline in that pew Bible, go for it. And if you don't have a Bible and you want to take it home, also go for it. Take it. Read it. So this morning, we're in Ephesians 2, and we'll read here together. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, Paul is writing here in the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus, and he is talking to those Christians about what life was like before they came to know Jesus as their Savior. What was it like? Well, he starts off and says, you were dead, dead, no pulse, no life. The way you were living was dead in your trespasses and your sins. Trespasses is literally losing your way, slipping off the path, making your own way, not according to God's way. And sin is the Greek word hamartia, which literally means to miss the mark. Maybe you've heard it before. I explained this to my son. He's got a dartboard in his room, and it's literally just like my son's dartboard and the surrounding wall of missed darts. Possibly a bad father choice, but whatever. There's lots of missed marks. God's standard is the dead center, the bullseye, and sin is missing the mark. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And the prince of the air, that is God's enemy, Satan, who we know from the very beginning rebelled against God and went his own way. And actually, around Paul's time as he was writing this, the Greek philosopher Pythagoras was famous for saying, the whole air is full of evil spirits. It was so dense, you couldn't even fit anything in between them, they said. We were all following the the enemy, just kind of doing things we were tempted to do. Not only that, but gratifying the passions of our flesh and the bodily things that we wanted to do. Our mind, whatever it wanted, just going. And by nature of all that we were doing in our trespasses and sins, we were children of wrath. Great message for us this morning, right? We were all doomed, dead, children of wrath. Whose wrath? Well, God's wrath. Not a popular thing to talk about, but it's so vitally important that God cannot have sin in heaven. I wanted you to know that this morning. God's wrath is total, absolute. There's no way he can cancel his wrath. He has to judge sin. All of us are included in that A hopeless few verses And then we get to verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, this is the time where you pull out your pen. Circle this, but God, right here. But God, all this we were dead, but God broke into our story who is rich. He's overflowing with mercy and compassion and his great love. He made us alive with Christ, no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. We are now alive in Christ. Because of his grace, we have been saved. And then there's this interesting part here where it says, and he seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. This is an incredible truth that we find that not only does he make us alive once we were dead, now we're alive, but he's saying, I'm bringing you near to me, so near that you are seated in Christ in the heavenly realms. You've got a place in heaven. Your citizenship is there, brought near. Verse 7, that in the coming ages, over time, as he is showing grace, he's going to continue to show us the depth and the, how rich he is in grace. This is an incredible uh, understanding of God's forgiveness of us. Not only is there this moment where he says, forgiven, but let me demonstrate in the coming ages and over time how rich I am in grace toward you. Because of Jesus, the wrath is settled. It's by his grace, verse 8, we are saved through our faith, just believing all that we have just walked through. We're putting our trust in Jesus. Well, the question is, what makes him so special? How does he settle God's wrath? Well, Jesus was sent by God into the world to live as a man, human on earth. He lived a completely sinless life and willingly took on himself the sin Missing the mark, the trespasses, the wayward living of the whole world. And God's wrath remains. It, it has to remain. And so instead of God's wrath being poured out on you, it was poured out on him. Not a result of the works that you and I do. We can't add up all these good things that we can do to make it to God so that no one boasts about that. But it's the gift, a gracious gift of God. Nothing we can do to earn this place. By faith, receiving it, entering into God's family. And then at the end here, I love this. For we are, once we are in Christ, created in him for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, you might say, well, you just told me that you cannot get to God through doing all these good things. Absolutely true. But he's actually prepared things for those in Christ, totally accepted, to live in obedience and carry out these good works according to the things he has planned for us. This is not earning. This is obedience to him. This is the gospel. You and I, dead in our sin, hopeless, lifeless, but God, 
rich in his mercy, made a way that you and I could have life, died in our place, grafted into God's family. This journey begins and it continues as he shows us the riches of his grace over time. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to my father except through me. This is the plan I've, I've set up. I'm giving you this free gift. Nobody gets to heaven except through me. Matthew uh, chapter 7, there's actually the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus speaks in two uh, different uh, passages. He says, if you take all these words that I've just spoken to you in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which we are studying right now, if you take all those and you put them into practice and do what I say, live as I have called you to live, you were like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And when the waves come and the winds take over, that house is going to stand firm. It's not going to be moved. The foundation is sure. But if you hear all these words of mine that I'm saying and you do not put them into practice and you do not do these things, you're like a man who builds a house on a pile of sand. And you know what happens. The wind and the waves come and the house is completely destroyed. The foundation, not sure. The foolish and the wise choice. Now, I want to address the uh, decoration we have here on our stage this morning. Um, if you know what these are, these are milk crates. Milk comes in these crates and then they are delivered to different places. And if you've spent four seconds on social media over the last, I don't know how many long times, uh, you probably have seen people attempt to walk across this. It's called the milk crate challenge, right? And what happens is people get far and um, they start to wobble and there's some pretty epic uh, failure at doing this. And so, um, but I want to just make an illustration because oftentimes you and I would hear these passages, hear the scripture that God is teaching us and we'll say, well, I don't really want to build my entire life on things that are foolish, but maybe just the things that I've uh, gained in this world, my possessions, my wealth. And so we, we have this, and it's a sure foundation, we think, and we put our weight on that. And possibly it's maybe in your health and having things that are, uh, your body is fueled and you're able to be healthy and I don't have any uh, fear in this world. Uh, I'm just going to stand on that and, and that possibly could be your foundation. Or, or possibly it's in relationships and we all know how shaky possibly relationships can be or, or are. Maybe it's in your education and you, you have just gained this knowledge and insight and wisdom and you're thinking, well, I can stand on that and that will get me far into the world. And, and many other things, right? You can build upon this and have this structure which may appear like a wise choice, but uh, it isn't a wise choice. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. I'm going to attempt to stand on the unwise choices in life, right? So this first one we said was money, and um, the second one was, um, what did we say? Was this, hey, your health. Okay, that's a good one too. So we'll stand on these two, and I'm going to stop because um, <laughs> there's two things. If I fall then I have to preach injured the rest of the time. If I make it over the top, 
and all the way down. The illustration is ruined. So we're going to leave it there. Search YouTube later. I'm sorry, Mason. I'm not going to walk over that right now. Okay. The moment you've all been waiting for is possibly, can I respond to this gospel? We know that the Spirit's at work. Not only has he been at work, but he is at work now. There's this invitation. How would you respond to Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to my Father but through me. And what are you placing your trust? In who are you placing your trust? Two more quick examples of the gospel, and they're two rich men. The first one responds to Jesus in a way that maybe you and I would respond. His name is the rich young ruler. That's all we get. He's the rich young ruler, very wealthy, and he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, in Mark chapter 10, how can I inherit eternal life? I want to know. Tell me. I got everything else. Tell me what I have to do. Jesus turns to him and says, well, you know what the commandments say. Do not murder do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. And Jesus, as you might expect, turns to him and it says he loved the man. <laughs> okay, that being the case, one more thing I'm going to ask you to do, Jesus says, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. Well, as we read there in Mark 10, the man went away greatly, deeply saddened because he was a man of great wealth. He couldn't let go of that foundation, which he thought was everything in his life. Or you have the contrast, Zacchaeus, who was also a rich man, gained a lot of money through uh, not some great ways of living. He was a tax collector, a short tax collector, as we read in Luke 19. He was uh, going along, and if he collected the taxes for the government, he could then also add some more taxes, and whatever that was, he kept for himself. Very hated man. People didn't like him, but he was rich. And he came in and he wanted to see Jesus. And there he was in the crowd, but he couldn't see. He climbed up in this tree. And as Jesus is passing by, he calls to Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I am coming to your house today. And for someone who has lied and done all these things to gain this wealth, unbeknownst to him, Zacchaeus should have been afraid of this. But he says, okay, uh, I get it. Uh, you're coming to my house. I am going to give all I have, half of all I have, to the poor. And anybody that I've cheated out of all this tax collecting business, I'm going to repay them four times the amount. Listen to the response of Jesus. He says, today, salvation has come to this man's house. What did he do? He embraced Jesus. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. You can hold on to this world and the things that make up your sure foundation. But sure enough, it will crumble if it is not in something eternal and lasting. And so I ask you today, how would you respond to the gospel? I just want to take a minute before we jump into this communion meal together just to pray with you this morning. And Lord, we, 
We know that as you gather us around this gospel truth, we hear the picture that you've laid out in scripture of two choices, two ways of living, two ways of founding our life. God, maybe we've taken a few steps into this, uh, uh, this shaky kingdom of self and we've gone our own way and we are desperate and in need of you this morning. And, and if that's you here this morning, very simply, you can reach out to God recognizing your own sin, believing that turning from your sin and putting your faith in Jesus, the payment for your sin, and asking, would you be the Lord of my life, Jesus? Everything I have is yours. All that I am is yours. I embrace you today. God, we thank you that you are at work and we pray that you would confirm in in each of our hearts where we stand with you this morning. In your name, amen. amen. For those of you here this morning who possibly have or just maybe did that right now, just turned from your sin, repented, I've lived this way, and have embraced Christ, there is full assurance of your standing with God. There is no more saved that you can be than right now. You can't earn anything better than full acceptance from God. And so we come together today to celebrate communion, and it's really a family meal. If you think about it like this, Jesus comes and he gathers his followers and says, this is what I want you to be about. For those who haven't trusted Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, this would not be for you this morning. We gather around uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, if you want to turn there with me, we'll read as Paul is recounting what happened in the upper room, Jesus broke bread and gave it to his followers, illustrating his broken body. And he poured the cup and and handed it to them and saying, do this as you drink of this cup in remembrance of my shed blood. For I received from the Lord, 1 Corinthians 11, 23. Oh, there it is, perfect. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. There's a new way. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Notice what we find in the Bible. This is a remembrance of something that's taken place. His blood shed, his body broken, to be done often and frequently. And you might ask yourself the question, why here, why like this? I can remember Jesus as I'm golfing, or as I'm hiking, or as I'm at school, at work, when I'm all alone. And I would say, you can, and you should. But there's something about the gathering of God's people around elements, the tangible nature, hearing the words of Jesus, 
getting the chance to see the elements. We can visualize them. We can touch them. We can taste them. You might even smell the juice as you're drinking it. All of our senses engaged to remember the sacrifice of Jesus as often as you eat and drink. And so we're going to just take a minute, maybe just a a little bit here, just to examine our hearts. As verse 28 says, hey, we're coming to this table to remember the sacrifice of Christ. Take a moment to examine your hearts and just sit before the Lord this morning. And Lord, as you peel back the layers of our heart, we're laid bare before you. You can see everything, God. You know what we're pursuing and chasing, and we come back to remember our whole life is founded upon you. We want you to be the center, and so as we eat and drink, we do this to remember you. In your name, amen. So we will open this uh, 2021 package here, um, the bread first, and we'll uh, peel that off here. And he took the bread, and we, we do this in remembrance of Christ. Okay, you can... Flip it over, and we're going to remember the shed blood of Jesus as we partake of the cup together. As often as we drink in remembrance of Christ. Now, I realize that giving you this in the middle of the sermon maybe is like a wake-up call, but also is trash, and people are going to be like, where do I put it? Am I going to spill? It's okay. Um, Put it to the side, dial back in. The last section here that we're going to talk about, we have the gospel, the meal of remembrance that we just partook in together, and the call to discipleship. Um, Let me start by saying the English word discipleship is not found anywhere in the scriptures. You're not going to find it. It's a word that we've made, but the word disciple is found in the scriptures. It's the Greek word mathetes. It means a a learner or someone who has uh, followed or a student. We also have this historical account of Jesus calling his disciples to himself and guiding them through this journey with life together. And in Jewish culture, in the time of Jesus, there were these rabbis, which is the word uh, teacher, Someone who had embodied the teachings of Torah, the law, or the first five books of the Bible. 
Someone who's embodied this teaching would then teach people, and actually it was used in an instructional way to teach them how to read and write. And so kids would go to the rabbi, and they would learn to read and write. And most people, once they learned those uh, simple skills, would go back to their families and pick up the family trade, do their things, begin their business, start their life. They've gotten the basic skills. Uh, all women would do the, very much the same thing because they were not permitted to go further on in their education. Families had to be started early. And so most of the people fell off right at this point. And um, what happened was uh, that there would be many levels of study and learning. If you continued in your study, you were then called a Talmudim, which is a Hebrew word for disciple. And so the rabbi would have their Talmudim and they'd be walking around and following after uh, who this person was and imbibing this teaching. They began to uh, show promise. They would then be invited to memorize all first five books of the Bible which is insane, reciting it backwards and forwards. They'd be quizzed and they'd be asked to pick out certain laws and recite them left and right. And many people probably were unable to do it to the level of a rabbi. And so at that point, they would fall out of the process. And if they continued memorizing more Hebrew texts and were esteemed and were able to get to this point, they made it to the point where they could ask the rabbi, can I follow you. And there would be some more quizzes back and forth if they seemed to have promise, possibly, and for very select few, they would be invited to follow this rabbi. It was an incredible honor, and they would literally be covered in the dust of their rabbi. They'd follow so closely, it was said, they just wanted to be covered in whatever was happening following this rabbi. There's an incredible prayer that got prayed, and and if you weren't following closely your rabbi or you were already kicked out of the first levels of schooling, you didn't make it to hear this specific prayer. And I want to share it with you this morning. I realize it's a little bit odd and strange, but this is the level of closeness they had with their teacher. It is called the Asher Yatsar. It is the spiritual blessing that is prayed after you use the bathroom. Here's what the rabbi would pray, and the Talmudim would listen in and memorize this as well. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, king of the universe, who formed man with wisdom and created within him many openings and many hollow spaces. It's obvious and known before your seat of honor that even if one of them would be opened or if even one of them would be sealed, It would be impossible to survive and stand before you even for one hour. Blessed are you, Adonai, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. What a strange but incredible prayer that they got to hear and listen. If you were following closely, even to the bathroom, your rabbi. Praising God in this way. Invited to sit at the table and learn and possibly learn to become a rabbi as well yourself. Now, stay with me here because when Jesus came, he called his first disciples and where did he meet them? He was walking along the shore and then we have Peter, Andrew, James, and John are there and they're fishing, which probably means they may have just barely learned to read and write and they went back to their family and they did the business. They were the B team. They were the junior varsity people. And Jesus comes to them and says, 
you come follow me. I mean, as I say it, I have chills. What an incredible honor it was. The master teacher, the rabbi chose you to follow him. It was completely backwards, but these people were invited in. We have been graciously invited to be an apprentice of the rabbi Jesus, the teacher. He's choosing you. Jesus lived somewhere between three and four years with his disciples on earth, and they were following him, watching miracles and teaching and all these different things that were happening. They witnessed his death and his resurrection. And in Matthew 28, towards the end of uh, the book of Matthew, Jesus uh, meets them and says, uh, go meet me on the mountain of Galilee. I want to appear to you again after he's come back from the dead. Their heads are probably spinning, but it says this in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples, we know that one was not there, went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. It's your turn. Go and make disciples. You've seen all that I've done. This is your opportunity. This is your command. Go and make disciples of all nations. This was their invitation. In Acts 14, chapter 2, uh, we find Paul is, is walking along and he's with his disciples and they're going from town to town. And it says this, when they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples... They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in their faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had preached the gospel and made many disciples, then they strengthened them, they encouraged them. And so I read these few things and know the process of discipleship in which Jesus invited us into. And quickly, I'm going to give you them right in a row. So if you're a fill-in-the-blank person, you were like, how's he going to do this in like five minutes? Here are your three things that I think about discipleship we find from the scriptures. Number one, live as an apprentice of Jesus, covered in his dust, looking at him, learning, becoming like our teacher, our rabbi Jesus. The second we find in the scriptures is to speak the gospel, preaching the gospel, always sharing our faith, bringing people to know him. And the third one, this process engaging in making disciples, not only preaching and living like him, but building into people, teaching and training them. And you might think, that's great. I mean, there's lots of pastors in the the area. They can do that. This is important. But I want to just read a few, uh, quickly, passages of Scripture that speak about this. Flip it over. They're on the back. You can reference them at some point later. Titus 2, older women train younger women in the faith. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul trains Timothy, who then goes and trains other people. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, 
Bring your children up in the teaching of the Lord. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Hebrews 3.13, take the scripture and exhort one another in the faith, in God's word. Bring this one to each other so that we're not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 1 Peter 4.10, each of us in Christ have received a spiritual gift to use to serve one another. We have these clear words in the scriptures, but I believe still there is some sort of discipleship crisis happening. Maybe it's an American church thing. I don't really know. Uh, Burger King faith, I've heard it called that, where it's kind of like, have it your way. Do what you want. Consumerism is the, the mantra that we have. Some of us, we have come to know Jesus. We're saved. And we're just kind of waiting, like, take me up, Lord. Like, I'm ready to go. We'll call that the chosen frozen, right? We're just sitting here doing absolutely nothing for the kingdom. We got saved. Don't ask any questions. Some of us are, are preaching like crazy. We're sharing the gospel. We're talking about Jesus. And we forgot to become like him, which makes your presentation of the gospel all sorts of confusing. If you've not sat under him as your teacher and you're saying, come follow him, he's so great, you're an example that may not be uh, so inviting. Or possibly you are talking to people and you're bringing them up and you're training them and you're building into them, but you forgot to really include the Lord in this. Well, that is discipleship. Netflix is discipling a lot of people in our world today, but not to Christ. Nothing against Netflix, but we are being shaped and formed by these influences and things, and it may have nothing to do with Jesus at all. That is not discipleship. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Great Omission, if we call the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, he's like, hey, we have this great omission. We've, we've missed this. The idea of having faith in Jesus has come to be totally isolated from being his apprentice and learning to do what he said. David Platt in his book, Follow Me, says, Why are so many supposed Christians sitting on the sideline of the church, maybe even involved in the machinery of the church, but not wholeheartedly, passionately, sacrificially, and joyfully giving their lives to make disciples of all the nations? Could it be? That so many people in the church have settled for superficial religion instead of supernatural regeneration. Francis Chan in his book, Multiply, I love the way he talks. Yet somehow, many have come to believe that a person actually can be a Christian without being like Christ. A follower who doesn't follow. How does that make sense? Many people in the church have decided to take on the name of Christ and nothing else. This would be like Jesus walking up to those first disciples and saying, hey, would you guys mind identifying yourselves with me in some way? Don't worry. I don't actually care if you do anything or change your lifestyle at all. Um, I actually am just looking for people who are willing to say they believe me and call themselves Christians. I mean, ouch, right? This call to discipleship is not that we would sit there and hope that somebody in leadership in a church would do that. This is including all of us. We must know the gospel, receive his invitation, remember this salvation as we partake in remembering 
the sacrifice of Jesus and be a disciple of our rabbi and make disciples. I don't know about you, I actually wrote down at the end of my sermon here, I just kind of like left myself some lines as I was preaching through this a few times in my mind, in my heart, and learning for myself. I wanted to just apply it. If, if I were to sit under this teaching, what would I do? Is there a name that I would go after? Do I need to ask somebody for help? Should I join some sort of place to, to grow in my faith? Take your pen. You have 10 seconds. Write something down that maybe the spirit pricked in your heart. Go ahead. Do that now. 10 seconds. And if you're not going to, look away from me, okay? pray. God, we are so grateful that we can come and handle your word and, and hear it and listen. And, but God, we want to be your people that are becoming like you. We know that your spirit is at work in that process, but man, we want to just sit under your teaching and be covered in the dust of the rabbi that we are following so close, Jesus. We thank you for your word. We live in a time and day in history. We have the written words of God penned for us. Let us not avoid this. And God, would you unleash our church to be disciple makers in our world. Lord, that we don't wait until we've arrived or we've learned a lot about Jesus, but we're taking God's word and we're building into the lives of others. And Lord, if, if you've redeemed and called people for the very first time to this saving relationship with yourself this morning, would you cover them in your love? Lord, prompt them to even tell someone this morning and, and be fed uh, your truth. We thank you and we love you. We love you for this uh, this process you've set in motion with your disciples. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning.